It's time to hit the trail as we present your monthly dose of travel, tourism, wine and dine. This is Travel Radio Australia. Here's your host, Renz Veers. Thank you and welcome to the show on the destination list and topic lists uh, in order of appearance, we'll go for a cruise in London. We'll uh, talk to one of the leading TripAdvisor reviewers. We'll have some travel news. And then we'll uh, talk to Gabe Saglier of Travel Zoo, who's calling in from Arizona in the United States. And to finish the show, we'll, uh, we'll have Kirsty Bedford chatting with uh, Renee DeMonchi of Tourism New Zealand. That's all happening. First up, Jeff Harrison who is chatting with Winston De Freitas of Bateau London Cruises. My guest this week is Winston De Freitas, and he's one of the managers here and on-board managers on Bateau Cruises London. And uh, Winston, welcome to the program. Thank you, thank you. Nice to have you here. Now, it is a wonderful cruise. Now, I've just done the... Uh, the pre- premium uh, cruise, I suppose, right yeah. by the window, and you can sit on here and have a beautiful two and a half hour cruise at lunchtime, as we're doing with the jazz in the background, as you're hearing. And tell us a bit more about the the whole experience. Well, okay, so we've got uh, Bateau London Cruises, which is a great way to see London. Uh, a lot of people come to London and don't get to see the one end to the other. You go to London, you see one specific thing, but this is a fantastic way to see pretty much the whole of central London. So you go from one end of London down to the other. This cruise will take you from Westminster, and like we've travelled today, we've travelled all the way up to the London barrier, which is great. So you get to see London from a different perspective than you usually would do. Well, but how many people does this boat seat? Right, so this, this boat will seat maximum you're looking at about 340 comfortably that is squeeze you can get a few more on uh, which we've done in the past usually with big functions and what have you but 340 is about, about your maximum very comfortable we've got front and back we also have a viewing deck upstairs which is really nice especially in the warmer weather you can sit upstairs and enjoy the cruise and see much more of london that way but sitting inside is nice as well because you've got you know good good views from inside of the, the craft and tell us about the dining experience. It's uh, it's fabulous. Uh, uh, the food is just wonderful and great value for money as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, our chefs prepare everything freshly on board, so you're not going to have a bunch of microwave food on here. We've got uh, three, four chefs on any one cruise, and they'll, they'll do your starters, your main desserts, pretty much to order. And they're very good with accommodating dietary requirements, gluten freeze, and your you know vegetarians, whatever. So we've got quite a good menu and a lot to choose from. And during the cruise today, we're on the luncheon cruise with this great jazz band, but I believe there's all sorts of entertainment options available. Absolutely. We do also an evening dinner cruise where we have another live jazz band, a slightly different music format, a little bit of dance music and what have you. Again, it's about uh, we've got a two and a half hour evening cruise. We do two cruises a night, two different boats. We've got this boat, the Harmony. Another boat, the Symphony, slightly bigger, which is very nice. We also do, coming up in the summer, we'll also have an afternoon tea, which is uh, just a jazz pianist, and that's quite a nice experience as well. So we've got a few different things with different music formats for everybody's choices. Well, that's a great idea here in London to have an afternoon tea on the cruise on the river, whereas you usually do it in a hotel, but that gives a fabulous extra dimension. Yes, absolutely. Some people, the, the, the afternoon tea is a little bit shorter, and if you just want to do something quickly, and it's a great way to spend an afternoon just 
you've got a couple hours or an hour and a half and you just want to, you know, do something slightly different, like you're saying, not being in a hotel, but just being actually outside and on the river, fantastic way to do it. Now, Winston de Vries here on Bateau Cruises London. I believe you've probably had some pretty famous people as your guests along the way. Yeah, you get, you get a lot. You get a lot. You, you try not to mention names, but you do get them from time to time. Um, again, we... We don't mind if you mention names. No, uh, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> okay, that's fine. But but it must be great for them because they come over and maybe they may, might be movie stars or actors or whatever, and, and they just love to just relax, take yeah, it easy. I mean, it's 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 a great place for them to kind of melt into the crowd, if you like. You know, they don't get rushed and they sit down and they can relax and enjoy it just as much as everybody else. So they appreciate it a lot. Oh, we've got a birthday celebration in the background there, which is great. So the band. Uh, which is everyone, and it's very nice to have a birthday on St Valentine's Day, which uh, we're, we're having. Yeah, we've got um, birthdays, we had uh, proposals last night, we had proposals on board, which was really nice. Thankfully, all, all of the um, partners said yes, so that, that was a good thing. We didn't have to stop and uh, let anybody off. So. Yeah, some of the great sights uh, that uh, we see as we go past, uh, some real highlights of London. Yeah, you get to see the obvious things, Tower of London, Westminster, but also on the river you also get to see things like St. Paul's Cathedral. We've got a very good view of these buildings from there. We go through places like Canary Wharf, which is really nice, and also some of the historic little places that you wouldn't normally see, some of the little pubs and along the river that if you were just walking you wouldn't know they're there. But with this cruise you get to see a lot of these little tiny hidden away places, so it's very good. And Winston, how can people find out more about Bateau Cruises London online? Yeah, if you, I mean, if it just logs on to um, bateaucruises.com, you'll get all the information you need, prices, the dates that are available, anything that you possibly need, and uh, we're more than happy to give you all the information. Winston DeFries from Bateau Cruises London, thank you very much for being a guest on the program this week, and it's been fabulous to be on board. All right, thank you very much. Nice having you. This is Travel Radio Australia. Now, uh, we've got a little segment coming up now which I'm looking forward to because I get to speak to a former colleague of mine, Stuart Bell. But um, he's uh, one of the top 2% of reviewers on uh, TripAdvisor. Stuart, I I want to understand uh, what this MasterChef approach to judging is. How do do you do that? How does that work with your TripAdvisor reviews? Well, Graham, I've noticed that a lot of people just use social media to to push the negative, and and I've always believed that even inside a negative experience when you're travelling, there are some positives that you've just let something overwhelm it. So it's just a case of stepping stepping back, and if you can't say something good, don't say anything at all. Well, that's an interesting philosophy. I don't think everybody shares that, uh, which would be evidenced by the, the negative reviews that do appear on uh, TripAdvisor, but... I wonder, do you think that um, some establishments pay people to actually then come out with a bunch of positive reviews to sort of rebut what might have appeared? Um, <clears throat> no, I I use TripAdvisor because the the reviewed organisation get a right of reply. Right. So if somebody tips a bucket, then you know they can actually do a do a re- retort aimed at that specific issue because quite often what you'll find Graham you know and, and you know I've traveled quite a bit and, mm. and you know as you have uh, um, you, quite often you'll get there and like it was the night the chef was sick 
Okay. Yep. So it was the guy who's never tried to make the dish before in his life who's had a had a you know, a good crack at it, and and I I think it's unfair that you know yeah, okay look it may not have been what you're expecting, but the reality is when there's a valid excuse, then you know. I think this is a social media criticism in general that I have. It's far too easy to, you know, shoot the messenger. Yes, it you is. Know, like, in, yeah, brrr, yeah. They take the gun out and strap everybody, and, and it's kind of like, well, hang on, there were some extenuating circumstances. Mm. And do you feel like the anonymity also seems to empower people who reckon that they can just fire away willy-nilly? Yes, I, uh, I do think that... But one of the things I place some store in TripAdvisor about is the fact that they know who you are, and if I, I believe if they see just a pattern where you know you never say anything positive or you're taking aim at a particular establishment, you know they reserve, you know they reserve the right. They don't automatically publish. So you do your review, they then review the review and release it. Mm. So you know they're. Well, mind you, in this day and age of bots and the like, <laughs> who's to know if it's not just uh, being reviewed by some uh, uh, robot somewhere going, yeah, this is fine. Mm. So. Now, you obviously have uh, done a lot of reviews to be in the top 2% of, of reviewers. Um, what types oh, of... Yeah, I did. did you, they yeah, sent you a note I, about I that. I never thought of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you do at night? If you're not watching telly, oh, I'm writing a review. No, what I was wondering, mate, was... What uh, types of places do you review? Obviously restaurants, but do you do cafes? Do you do hotels? Yes. What do you do? Yes. Yes and yes. Um, I do. I yes. I I basically review. And you know, having been an extensive business traveller, the one thing I always hated was, you know, you know for, out of fear you tended not to explore. Yep. So I've tended to post on cafes smaller eateries, things that aren't what I would call mainstream. Um, so, and with the view of a business traveller, that you know, I always find it nice when you travel to go and eat somewhere local. And, and what I've noticed is a lot of business people never eat local because, quite frankly, they don't know where they are and they don't know who to trust about where to go. So did you start out just trusting your own instinct? Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, that and that and fellow trip advisor reviewers, right? Yeah, you know, and so consequently, you know, um, I've steered away from um, some places in the past off a combination of two things. You know, I've, I've gone and used instinct when I've been standing at the door reading the menu. You know, of somewhere that's got an average of three stars on TripAdvisor and then gone, you know what, I know why, no, oh. I'll find somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever regretted but, uh, a review you've written? No, because that's what I say. Um, uh, I decided to take, it might be a Switzerland approach, you know, but uh, a right. bit of neutrality, like let's just be objective in what you do. You know, if you've got nothing, to, if you've got nothing good to say, you know, then then find something where somebody reading the review will know that it, it wasn't a five-star experience, but that the food was fine, the service was terrible, you know, um, and try not to let other things, you know, influence what you say and keep it brief. Now, I know you'll find that a surprise, Graham, since we've known each other for a while, but, yeah, it's just keep it brief. Yeah, well, that, that's always a good thing, Stu. Now, tell me... Um, <laughs> 
what I was thinking in asking you the question about regret was have you have you been to a place and reviewed it and gave, given it a big rap and gone back and it was terrible the next time? Uh, no, I haven't. Okay. No, uh, touch wood. Um, and no, do I've you been... do you return to places you've reviewed? Yes, I do. Okay. Uh, just to make sure that what I said previously still holds. And I'm not. And I actually there are a couple of places I've actually you know done another a subsequent review. You know, either better or better the same or slightly uh, below what I gave them the previous time. But with because the... mm. it's rare that the circumstances are identical for both the clients and the servants in this scenario. And sometimes, Graham, as you're well aware, it's the company you keep that, you know, colours your impression of how good the meal was. Mm. Well, I must say, whenever we've had a coffee, you're pretty good at finding these unusual little places down alleyways and, and out the back and in areas that you wouldn't expect to find a cafe. And they've, I have to say, they have by and large been uh, good experiences. So you are yeah, pretty that, good at sussing them out. That tends to be where I scout. Yeah. yeah that, that's where I tend to scout, Graham. Fair enough. Now, you actually, your background, for people who, who uh, don't know, is in the information technology and the mining industry. Um, did you yep. ever really want to be a travel writer or a food critic? No. No, and I, you know, and I never really wanted to do much travel till, you know, I travelled for work. And then, you know, I guess when you wait 200 days of the year, all of a sudden you realise that travel's a big part of your life and that, you know, you can give back. I'm, I'm not a big tipper, Graham, as okay. you're well aware. Oh, well, I, I hadn't actually noticed, Stu, but, um, but if you're able to give them uh, some custom then uh, yep. and follow-up custom, pass it forward, then I think that's as valid as, uh, as anything else. Um, have, what's the best experience you've had in a restaurant? And can you tell me wh- where the restaurant was, if it's still open? Um, the, the, oh, now, I can. I would have to go and do some searching. Right. I, I had a colleague, I, I did a conference in Jakarta. Um, I did a keynote presentation in 20, early 2015. Right. And um, one of my colleagues from Singapore was a local of the area. And, the, and he was staying the night as I was because, um, you know, the conference finished late and there was some social, you know, some networking drinks and that. And, yep. um, and I didn't want to, you know, didn't want to miss out on that. So um, we were both flying up the next morning. And I said, OK, well, you know, Harry, take me to somewhere that is quintessential to the area. And he took me to this little place and it was fantastic. This is right in okay. central Jakarta? Uh, Jakarta's quite a big place. Uh, yeah, but not far from downtown, yeah. Well, maybe after we go off there, I can get that from you and we'll put I'll the get, name I'll up. I'll get the details. Yeah. We'll I'll put the, the name details. up. What about in Melbourne, um, which is obviously where you spent a lot of time, where you're living now? Um, what, what, what would you recommend in Melbourne that maybe people don't know about? Ooh. A cafe yeah. or a... Or a restaurant? <clears throat> well, there's. It, it's interesting because I'm 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 tend to be an early riser, so I'm I uh, I'm a breakfast man. Yep, I know that. Um, there's yep. there's the Big Cup in Box Hill, the Big Cup Cafe. Right. Um, and then there's also that 
uh, Black Cat Cafe down uh, um, down your way, both of which um, came from recommendations from different people that, right. um, you know, and they're not in spots that you would typically go looking. And, uh, you know, so the Box Hill one's actually not right in Box Hill, so there's plenty of, you know, the old Box Hill issue, there's, yeah. there's parking, there's yeah, plenty of parking in the service road, and, you know, it's... Uh, it's a, a really, um, a really interesting place to go. And have you ever actually met any other reviewers? Have you caught up with any of them and exchanged notes? No, I haven't. No. Um, in fact, that's interesting you say that. Um, I've actually never seen TripAdvisor attempt to engage their reviewing audience like that. that no, that's that's yeah. possibly one that. Um, uh, you could ask them, Graham. Yeah, I wonder why wouldn't they connect their people, as most other social media networks attempt to do in some way or other? Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe there's an app there, Stu. Maybe we better go crunching a bit of code in the spare in your spare time. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. Uh, yeah, right, Graham. There. So <laughs> you've actually retired now. Are you going to continue to do your reviews, even though you're not travelling as much, obviously? Well, absolutely, because um, um, I'm eating and drinking my own money now, so I'm I'm eating and drinking at a different um, level style of place. So I'm <laughs> kind of, I'm kind of aiming at a at a very different um, profile and and one probably better suited to how shall I put it this the senior traveller who has some mobility. So in other words, you know, you can jump on public transport and get there or. You know, you know you can go there and have a drink and get back because there is public transport, you know, available. Um, and, uh, I, you know, there are any number of genres, if you like, for reviewing um, um, hotels, attractions, you know, um, getting around, all of those sorts of things that are um, appropriate on TripAdvisor. And to be honest, Graham, that's one of the reasons I actually like the site. Is, is and- you're not just restricted to, you know, where you eat, where you eat, where you stay, how you get around, what what do you do, you know, what what tips can you give people about when you book a room and those sorts of things. I mean, you know, Graham, you've done a lot of travel. How many times have you ended up sleeping next to the elevator in a place that's got one that goes all night? Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. No, well, I'd normally be downstairs banging on the desk saying, "Have you got another room?" Oh, well, Graham, I'm more tolerant than that. Are oh, you? Yeah? Good on you, Stu. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, I appreciate the chance to chat with you uh, as, a, as a colleague of mine over over a number of years, and uh, I wish you well with your TripAdvisor reviewing. You're not going to move to any other platform. You're quite happy with that one, aren't you? No, I'm staying here. This is, this is for me, yeah. Sounds great. Yeah. Well, Stuart Bell, thank you for your time, and uh, good luck with your TripAdvisor reviewing. Thank you, Graham. Pleasure. It's time for Oz Travel News, where we inform our listeners on what's happening in Australasia. The Langham Melbourne has been voted number one top city hotel in Australia and New Zealand, and this is the eighth consecutive year that the Langham Melbourne has been included in the prestigious awards. Every year, travel and leisure readers vote on their favourite hotels, resorts, spas, airlines, cruise lines, and more in the magazine's annual World's Best Awards survey. 
The hotel continues to innovate and introduce new experiences for guests. For instance, last month the hotel announced the appointment of Christy Tania as the hotel's new executive pastry chef. Tanya's renowned for her precision and whimsical creations and has built up a cult following for her sought-after desserts and pastries. Also last month, Aria Bar and Lounge added a selection of warm pastries and savoury dishes to the hotel's already popular uh, the Langham Afternoon Tea with Wedgwood. Warm Wedgwood offers uh, guests an additional reason to take part in the time-honoured tradition of afternoon tea and at the same time warm up from the winter's chill. Rainforestation Nature Park, located in Coranda, far north Queensland, has launched a new activity within the Pamagiri Aboriginal experience, the Bush Tucker Walk, as part of the uh, attraction's 40-year birthday celebrations. The 30-minute walk offers guests the opportunity to learn about the rainforest plants and fruits used as traditional food and medicine by Indigenous people, as well as sample some of the fruits in the barbecue buffet lunch offered at Rainforestation Nature Park. The Bush Tucker Walk can be experienced by the public as an add-on experience or as part of the premium Pamagiri Aboriginal Experience Day Tour. Sydney has cemented its position as a world-leading destination, having been voted the number one city amongst Australia, New Zealand and the South Pacific in the 21st Annual Travel and Leisure 2016's World's Best Awards. The prestigious 2016 World's Best Awards are voted for by readers of Travel and Leisure and reflect the views of experienced world travellers. Rumba Beach Resort in Caloundra on Queensland's Sunshine Coast has welcomed the recent announcement that it's been recognised through the Australian Tourism Accreditation Programme having met the ATAP standards of excellence. The distinctive TIC logo will now be proudly displayed at the resort providing visitors the assurance that this tourism business has a proven commitment to the highest quality of service standards. Tourism businesses that undergo accreditation are committed to offering visitors the highest quality service and levels of excellence. Accreditation aims to provide customers with an assurance that participating businesses are committed to professionalism in both their business operations and delivery of service. News and features from around Australia and around the world. This is Travel Radio Australia. We have the guy who knows everything about travel. He is Mr. Travel Zoo himself, Gabe Saglia, joining us live. Hello, Gabe. Hello from a uh, toasty, uh, carefree Arizona. Actually, we're, I'm at uh, a place called the Boulders Resort, which is the northernmost um, uh, point of Scottsdale. Uh, in fact, this property, which is 1,300 square acres, uh, it spills into Carefree, Arizona. So I'm right on that northern border of Scottsdale. But it's, uh, boy, the heart of the Sonoran Desert. It is a beautiful, bright, sunny, warm morning here. So and to get there, you would fly into Phoenix and then just drive? Yeah, there is a, you know, there's a Scottsdale airport that does cater to, um, you know, small private aircraft. But, uh, yeah, you fly into Phoenix, um, Sky Harbor uh, Airport. Um, then you, uh, and I'm here, by the way, on a, uh, on a father-son trip with my eight-year-old son. So we, uh, we hopped into the... Um, the car rental shuttle, uh, and then we rented a car, and it's about uh, 35, 40-minute uh, drive to get, you know, you drive north, basically, 
and uh, and sort of get out of downtown Phoenix, drive through the desert. You're driving uh, past these great rock formations and these great sort of sprawling uh, desert uh, scenes until you get to um, to the boulders up here. And it's uh, as the name implies, it's it's an area where you see these massive boulders jutting out of the ground. Uh, beautiful uh, sort of desert mountain um, uh, formations, and uh, the, boy, this is a this is a gorgeous resort. Now, the reason a lot of us come here in the summer season is because, as you probably know, the savings are pretty dramatic compared to what peak season pricing in the in the winter season looks like. So, a resort like this in January, February is charging four to five hundred dollars a night. Um, rates late this month into July and August drop under 100. So you, you'll wow. get 75% savings. But yeah, you're also looking at a 75% increase in the temperature. So yeah, you're going you're uh, to get to be like 120 this <laughs> next week, right? Yeah. In fact, uh, we topped out at 102 yesterday. I think the four, you know the overnight lows hover right around 80. Uh, and then um, yeah, for next week, I think Sunday they're forecasting 119. And then it cools off to 117 for uh, Monday of next oh, week. So, you know, it is refreshing high. at 117. But, you know, it's a dry heat, right? That's, that's how they push it. Oh, it's a dry heat. There, there's nothing like a dry heat. In fact, my son you know, asked me, does it get this hot in, in Florida? And I said, you know, it does. But it is much less bearable when it's humid and muggy and, and, and stormy. Here, actually, you get, especially in the evenings when the sun sets, although the temperature is still, you know, in the upper 70s by, by nightfall, um, low 80s, uh, you do get this bit, you know, sort of desert breeze that rolls through, and it's actually very pleasant. So, I mean, obviously activities are done early in the day, late in the and late in the day. A lot of folks uh, who are, there are two championship golf courses here on, on this property, and so golf time started 6 a.m., 6.30. Um, my son and I were at the pool at 6.45. So, you know, it's, it's um, you, you, you do the outdoor activities early, late in the day, and then you try to tap into some of the indoor fun to be had throughout the Phoenix area during the course of the day. And what did you do indoors? Well, you know, we um, last night we went to uh, Scottsdale for dinner. It's about a 20-minute drive south of here to get to downtown Scottsdale. Fantastic restaurants. We ate at a, a place called the, uh, uh, it was called uh, Zen Burger. It's a, it's a burger slash wine bar. Uh, and uh, so perfect for me and, and, you know, great for kids as well. Uh, and then today we're heading, uh, I'm heading into downtown Phoenix for a TV segment uh, with the NBC station here in town. And then I, uh, we're going to hang out at the Arizona Science Center, which is um, pretty well known. As, I mean, certainly a family-friendly place, but this is, you know, they've got 300-plus hands-on interactive exhibits. They've got an IMAX theater there. They've got currently a display on oversized uh, insects. Um, so, you know, a lot of, it's, it's amazing how many museums there are just in downtown Phoenix. There's a Children's Museum, there's a Native American Museum, and there's a ton of these sort of indoor cultural uh, venues that, uh, you know, whether you're with the kids or not, uh, sort of give you a taste of, of where you are, the sort of southwestern haven here in, 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 the, in the Phoenix, Scottsdale area. And, uh, uh, and it's, it's, you know, plenty to do indoors. In fact, when they, you know, when, when the tourism folks here promote activities this time of year, here, they, you know, the, the, the number one thing they recommend is, is doing indoor activities. A lot of reminders about keeping kids and, and, and pets out of cars uh, during the course of the day and then and uh, really leaving the outdoor stuff for early morning and, uh, and uh, sort of early evening as well. Hmm. Uh, any um, uh, favorite food that you're heading towards? Well, you know, it's, uh, 
there, there is a big wine scene here. So, I mean, uh, especially in downtown Scottsdale and then also in downtown Phoenix, you, you, you know, these wine bars of the last couple of years, you've seen this, a lot of these wine bars pop up that uh, have that food component, but they do a pretty nice job at representing California wines, Northern California primarily from what I'm, from what I'm seeing. Um, and, uh, you know, the sort of Tex-Mex, inspired cuisine and steak houses and sort of, um, you know, pretty good fine dining is, is pretty readily available. This resort, the Boulders, has, um, I believe, seven different uh, dining venues on site. There's a Mexican cantina here. We had breakfast at the Palo Verde, which is this um, sort of uh, American uh, southwestern-inspired uh, place, great little breakfast items as well. So I think that there is definitely a push for, you know, a, a great classic American fare, a lot of Southwestern, Tex-Mex, Mexican-inspired fare as well. And, you know, the cocktail scene and the wine scene really um, caters to the crowd that comes here for the fine golfing, the spying, the tennis um, centers. And so there is sort of a pretty, um, you know, upscale, um, approachable, but still refined type of approach to dining. But again, you know, this is, you know, for those of us who come here in the in that uh, post-spring or sort of late spring into early fall period, uh, this is when we're enjoying all, see, we get all of those fantastic five glove, you know, white glove, five-star experiences, but at a fraction of the price, which is kind of a, kind of a nice thing. Great, great tips, Gabe, and, yeah. and, and really a, a good one for all of our viewers and listeners to take advantage of these benefits of going out to the desert. And you can fly from Santa Barbara to Phoenix. It's, you know, an hour and a half. It's yep. a direct flight. It's super easy. Yeah, U.S. Air has got flights. It, yeah, yeah uh, American does that. We actually, because I was in L.A., flew in from L.A. The round-trip fare out of Los Angeles uh, was under 80 bucks. I think it was $79 round-trip. So. Wow. Uh, it's a little bit more expensive out of Santa Barbara, obviously the convenience, but you can you know get round trip tickets for about for under two hundred out of them uh, out of Santa Barbara on American. Uh, if you if you buy a, you know at least fourteen days ahead, and um, you know so it's really you know there's an affordability out here which which is which is just bring the sunscreen and bring the shorts uh, and the sandals and you're fine. And Fantastic. don't forget your swim trunks. <laughs> you are a savvy traveler, Gabe. Thanks so much, and uh, I hope everyone. This is Travel Radio Australia. Tourism New Zealand statistics have shown its investment in the business events sector has well and truly paid off with an estimated $238 million economic impact over the last three years. New Zealand's National Tourism Board had until then not invested in the sector, but three years ago realised its value and injected some $34 million to focus on business travellers. To talk to us about the initiative is TNZ Director of Trade, PR and Major Events, René de Monche. Good afternoon, René. Good afternoon, Kirsty. Tell us a little about a bit about um, why Tourism New Zealand des- decided to invest on the, in the sector in the first place. Well, we invested in this sector for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is that we are very focused on driving value. Uh, and, and mandated to drive the, the to grow the value of visitors to New Zealand, we find that business events is a great way to do that because, on average, they spend approximately twice as much as a general visitor to New Zealand. The second reason is because it is uh, it is focused on the shoulder season. That's our second mantra: is to get people to travel to New Zealand in the in the shoulder season. And the third area is it's very much incremental business. So if you bid for this business, it will come. If you don't bid for it, then generally it doesn't. So it's incremental to general tourism. <laughs> um, so what have you been doing, um, particularly in the Australian market, to focus on, on sort of on, on generating people um, to New Zealand and to the business event sector um, into New Zealand from Australia? So Australia, we've been very focused on 
um, the conference market, so both international associations, uh, associations and large corporates. So we focus on anything that's 200 uh, uh, delegates or above. Um, and, and when it's in a competitive bidding situation, we, kinda, we use the conference assistance program or CAP to support um, the bidding process. We've established, an, uh, we already had a Tourism New Zealand office based in Sydney, but we've put a, a business event specialist into that office as well to assist with that process. Okay. And, wh- and what sort of value have you seen um, specifically sort of from that? Um, I don't have the breakdown of the exact value out of Australia, but what we see is that's our key market for targeting for conferences in particular. Um, so we're seeing great growth in numbers. It's, it's In general tourism, it's also our, our largest market in terms of number of visitors, and we're seeing the same in business events from conferences and, and incentive travel. So in the past, uh, New Zealand hadn't really had any infrastructure to um, support a lot of those larger larger sort of scale um, numbers that you're talking about, delegates sort of getting in. So what, what sort of things, um, and, and how has that impacted on, on trying to secure those large scale business from Australia and other parts of the world? Well, I think there's multiple factors when it comes to business events and infrastructure as well as connectivity with flights and all of those things are key factors. So there's great news that, that there's increased flight capacity and increased air lines into New Zealand and obviously with um, um, increased infrastructure around convention centres that's going to be tremendous as well so we've got the New Zealand International Convention Centre being built in Auckland at the moment which we're very excited about but there's also work being done for a Christchurch Convention Centre for Queenstown um, and the Wellington Convention Centre is in consultation at the moment so there's quite a bit of infrastructure coming which is great news. So considering the economic impact that you've already seen to have that new infrastructure come on board I mean growth predictions must be pretty big for the future. Absolutely yeah so we're seeing we're seeing we're really positive enthusiastic about the momentum as a total industry not just as tourism New Zealand so that means actually next year we're going to increase our investment uh, and our resourcing around business events and incentives Um, and that will be a a large chunk of that will actually be in Australia and it's partly driven by this this um, these convention, this convention centre and having this increased infrastructure that gives us the confidence to kind of invest uh, more into this area. So just on the, the smaller market, so um, I know that um, um, some of the other larger conventions um, and um, the bodies focusing on business event sectors have said that those smaller numbers are really vital to um, securing and filling in space when the larger um, conventions aren't, aren't in market. So w- what's happening to make sure that um, you're also focusing on those? On those? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. It's a kind of an and, 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 and we haven't talked about the domestic uh, conference market, but that's also obviously a big part of it. We really like to split between what we do to make sure that we're, we're efficient. So our focus is on the 200-plus delegates, where SIN's focus specifically is on the smaller groups of more like 50 packs. So it's a kind of divide-and-conquer approach, if you like. But very much agree with what you said. It's about having small, medium and large uh, conferences. And it does sound like uh, there's been a, a big investment from a number of sectors focusing on the Australian market, um, having resource specifically dedicated in, in market. So um, from different um, organisations, the Trade Auckland um, Trade Organisation, we're talking about it, yep. um, and also obviously from SINs and from TNZ. Has is, is that been um, a, obviously been a pretty planned and dedicated approach to ensure that you're covering off all of those? Yeah, absolutely. So Australia is our, is our most important market for tourism in general and so also for, for conferences and business events. And, we, and and the model for us very much is one of collaboration. So we work very closely, for example, with uh, Auckland
Auckland Convention Bureau or, de- or the Queenstown Convention Bureau, uh, together with SINs, uh, together with airline partners with Air New Zealand and others, um, to really go, how can we collaborate to, to make New Zealand a more compelling offer? So what other sort of plans or is there anything else sort of that you're planning going forward, particularly for the Australian market, to make sure that you continue to drive that? Obviously you're saying that you're increasing funds and, and resource, so um, is that something that will obviously continue to grow? Yeah, look, we're, we're really in, encouraged, uh, as are uh, many other players in the sector, we're really encouraged to see the growth and the momentum. We've been in uh, in this area, as you said, for the last three years and are really encouraged with the results so far. We recognise Australia as a key market for us uh, in this area. So, to, so as a kind of sign of, of, of kind of that success and that momentum, we're, we're increasing the investment. We're also uh, correspondingly increasing our targets, um, and we'll be increasing our resourcing. And, and a big chunk of that is going into the Australian market. So we really see this as a great opportunity um, uh, to, to provide an additional offer to the Australian market. Great. Thank you for your time. You're welcome. Thank you. And that was Travel Writers Radio's Kirsty Bedford chatting with Renee DeMonchi of Tourism New Zealand. That's all we have for you on the program this month. I'd like to thank all the other contributors too, Jeff Harrison, and uh, he was chatting with Winston DeFreitas of Bateau London Cruises, Graham Kenlow from Travel Writers Radio, who interviewed Stuart Bell, one of TripAdvisor's top 2% of reviewers, and uh, also from the ATW team in Santa Barbara, we featured guest Gabe Saglia of uh, Travel Zoo, who called in from Arizona. And uh, that's all. Until we meet again next month with the next edition of Travel Radio Australia, I'm Rand Zwiers, wishing you all happy trails. You have been listening to Travel Radio Australia. The show was produced and hosted by Rand Zwiers. It can be played or downloaded from TravelRadioAustralia.com, TravelCastNetwork.com, the iTunes Store, or listen to the show on TuneIn Radio.